May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So two things to start this sermon off. First, a word of reassurance. While I normally do speak softly, don't worry, parents, I can speak louder. So just relax. Nothing can go wrong. The second is, and this is also a piece of good news, there are at least seven sermons in this gospel reading this morning. I'm only going to do one. So there we go. But the one that I am going to talk about is about the disciple Thomas, the Apostle Thomas, who always has the adjective doubting put in front of his name. Um, It speaks to me on many levels, as you'll find out in the rest of this sermon. But it is a key story in the Bible, because it seems to be a key story about faith. Thomas is not there the first week, the first day, when Jesus shows up with the rest of the disciples, and they see him. And they believe. And they then tell Thomas, who does not believe? And says, I need to see the hands. I need to feel the side. And so when Jesus comes back a week later, that's what he says to Thomas. He says, Thomas, touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. And Thomas famously replies, my Lord and my God. But Jesus, in what seems like perhaps a mild challenge at least, says, Thomas, you have seen and believed. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And that also is what we read in the epistle from Peter today. He says, although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him. And in both of these, it seems like a weight is put upon us. To believe, to have that faith without seeing Jesus. Now, in every Bible story where we're asked a question like that, we, of course, are the good guys. Thomas doubted, but we wouldn't doubt, right? Because we know, we have faith, we believe. Really? I can't speak, I can only speak for myself, but I'm not sure. So let's look a little about faith. To talk about that, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a couple of stories. The first is about Mother Teresa of Calcutta, now Saint Teresa of Calcutta. A woman who during her lifetime, as many of you will remember, was an icon, viewed as a living saint, as the embodiment of Christian humility, of faith, and of goodness. She suffered, it turns out, we found out in a, 10 years after her death in a book called Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light. But to the surprise of almost everybody, and to the consternation of some, that she was racked for almost the entire time that she was looking after the poor, the destitute in Calcutta. She was racked by doubt. As early as 1953, she wrote to her confessor, Please pray specially for me that I may not spoil his work, and that our Lord may show himself, for there is such terrible darkness within me, as if everything were dead. Twenty-five years later, in 1979, three months before she went to receive the Nobel Peace Prize, she wrote to another confessor, Jesus has a very special love you. 
As for me, the the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. In her letters to them, she talks about dryness, about darkness, about loneliness, about torture. So what is faith? Faith is one of those words, when we think about it loosely, we can see it, we can envisage it. But as we reach out towards it to try to define it, it becomes hazy. It becomes much less clear. One of the most beautiful definitions of faith in the Bible comes in the letter to the Hebrews, where famously the writer says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In a different translation, faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things not seen. So there's a question as to whether it is faith which gives rise to belief, or actually does belief give rise to faith? Which is evidenced by which? I want to suggest to you today that actually doubt is not the enemy of faith, but that doubt actually may be a necessary part of faith. Firstly, doubt has been an incredible part of the lives of faithful people right from the beginning. Look at the Psalms, for example. On Good Friday, we we say Psalm 22, which begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Originally said by King David to God, when he was being beset by his enemies, appeared to have been abandoned, but also said by our Lord on the cross to his Father. And Psalm 88 The psalmist says, But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And Job in the Old Testament, from whom God takes away everything. Job rages against the injustice of this. He asks why. He asks God why and where are you? And more recently, the famous Catholic mystic in the 17th century, St. John of the Cross, actually coined the phrase, the dark night of the soul. It is that point in our development where, rather than coming closer, God appears to go further away. There is this sense of withdrawal, of absence. In our own lifetime, Martin Luther King had severe doubts at the beginning of his ministry for social justice, for racial equality. In Montgomery in 1956, he has this crisis where he says, why am I doing this? Can I do this? Should it be me? Why God? And perhaps the most famous Christian writer of the past hundred years, maybe longer than that, C.S. Lewis, on the death of his wife, is thrown into despair. Here's what he says. When you are happy, So happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? 
a door slammed in your face, and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. And moving away from the interior feelings of doubt, how can we not look at the world around us? Here in DC, on the streets, those who are homeless, those ravaged by drugs, mental illness, which we appear unable to help with or deal with or offer them support, and racism. Racism which has been with us for centuries but still exists, both casual and, yes, institutional. Gun violence, aggression in Ukraine, child abuse, the list is endless. How can you not look at that and wonder how God can allow it? How can I not doubt? How can I not ask those questions? C.S. Lewis again says, my fear is not that God does not exist. It is that in the world that I see around him, that represents God. That again is doubt. So what do we do about this? How do we deal with it? We have our gospel readings, we have our epistle readings. I want to come back to Mother Teresa. In the mid-1970s, a young Jesuit who was in the final stages of his formation went to work with the Little Sisters of Charity in Calcutta, and he had various conversations with Mother Teresa. And in one of the last of those, he asked Mother Teresa to pray for him. She said, what do you want me to pray for? And he says, I want you to pray for clarity. I don't know where I'm going. I'm not sure I understand all this. Please pray for clarity for me. And she says, I will not do that. I will not do that. And he says, why? He says, you so obviously have that clarity and that certitude. And she says back to him, as we now know from these letters, I have no certainty. I have no clarity. What I have is trust. And I will pray that you too have trust. And that's the point of this. The opposite of doubt is not faith. The opposite of doubt is certitude. The opposite of doubt is the certainty that we're right, that we know it all, that we have everything. And we know from the wider bands of Christianity where that leads. That certainty leads to rigidity, it leads to inflexibility. It leads to righteousness, which leads into self-righteousness, which leads to judgment of others, the enforcement of rules, because they're the rules. Doubt is actually important. This may seem like a strange message to deliver, particularly to baptism. But actually, this essentially is a hopeful message. Because the child, the children that we're baptizing today have a long life in front of them. They have a life where they'll face much uncertainty. They have a life into which they've been baptized 
but where it's unclear how things will go. There will be things which happen. Stuff really does happen. And yet with that ability to have both doubt and trust, they have a way forward. Trust is what we need. If you look at all of the individuals that I've spoken about, the one thing that none of them said was, we do not believe in God. They said, where is God in my life? Why is God allowing this to happen? But there was an underlying belief in God. And that is what trust gives us. That in the end, in ways we cannot tell, in ways we do not know, that God is with us and be with us. So for me, defining faith is actually a combination of doubt allied with trust. The knowledge that we don't know everything, but that God is still here. And that is what the writer of Hebrews 11 is talking about. It is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Amen.